I'm Joe Devine and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast uh, and a Happy New Year to all of you following uh, the Gregorian calendar. Today I was joined by Alex Stewart to do a roundup of the season at the midway point or just afterwards. We talk about each team briefly and tactically and in some cases not very tactically. Uh, you'll find out which managers we didn't know had gone or were still there, mostly in my case Alex is more up on these things. And also I'd like to remind you that as of the 3rd of January, uh, the first three episodes of Josh's new podcast, This Football Life, uh, which will be a TIFO output, will be available. That's Wednesday the 3rd of January, so I urge you uh, to go and subscribe to that. We'll provide links and stuff when it comes out. Uh, Follow us on our social handles if you don't already. We are at TIFOFootball underscore on Twitter and Instagram. I believe TIFOFootball was already taken. But do follow us there because uh, you'll get quick access to all new videos and podcasts, etc. I do talk about this a bit in the video uh, towards the end as well, but Alex and I are still planning on pushing out a new TIFO Tactics podcast. Uh, We just want to spend a couple more weeks on the format so that we can get it as good as possible. But thanks very much for downloading this podcast. I hope you all enjoyed a good Christmas, those of you who celebrate it, and a happy new year again, those of you living by the Gregorian calendar. So today we thought we'd have a look at the Premier League table and uh, go through team by team, albeit briefly, um, and have a quick discussion about uh, the tactics of each team, the coaches, and uh, how their outlook and style has uh, served them so far. Uh, So Alex, I thought it would make most sense to start at the top of the league. We've talked about Manchester City quite a lot already this season. I'm not really sure what's left to say, to be honest. We've looked at the fact uh, that they spent a lot of money on fullbacks, and that's you know the reasons behind that. That makes a lot of sense. We've looked at the utilisation of uh, Kevin De Bruyne. I think something interesting that's happened since the last Manchester City video we made um, and from a tactics perspective is that uh, David Silva's really coming to his own again. Um, but is there anything you can think to say about this, this team that we haven't already? I just... Just in awe of how good they are, really. Um, mm. I mean, th- there was some quite interesting discussion, I think, was it yesterday or the day before on, on Twitter about, and that's a rarity, isn't it? Interesting discussion on Twitter, <laughs> but it did happen, um, about how you might label the position that someone like De Bruyne plays um, and also, you know, potentially uh, Song Hung Min at Spurs, that kind of not quite a central midfielder, not quite an attacking midfielder. Um, and there's, there's the Spanish term, the interiores, which is kind of like an inside forward, but not quite. And and then someone said that De Bruyne himself in an interview had referred to it as a, a false eight, right. which is kind of... So I, I don't know whether terminology is getting a little bit silly now, but it does it does throw up an interesting question of the fact that City are achieving this style of play by having two players in David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne who are not traditional uh, central midfielders and are not traditional attacking midfielders. Um, And 
that kind of it would be reductive to say that it's simply because of that that kind of tactical change around that that teams are baffled by them I mean there's a lot of individual skill there's a lot of pace there's a lot of the way that that Pep's coached it but it is interesting kind of I suppose as a reminder that actually teams are used to playing against you know some kind of set way of playing and and you know you would usually expect your central midfielders to face up against your central midfielders and your wingers to face up against your fullbacks and so on and so forth and when when there's a player like Fernandinho who can allow the two uh kind of shuttling midfielders either side of him to not be that and to actually be much more advanced and much more mobile that in itself is enough to create problems for teams and then when those when those players are as good as they are then that makes it even even harder but i think yeah, I think we just have to recognise that that we're watching, you know, a side who have the potential, and it, you know, it's. I, I think I think the fact that win the league is fairly obvious, but the the degree to which that's done, how they can match that success in Europe, the sort of unbeaten run that they can put together, you know, we are potentially looking at one of the certainly one of the great sides of the Premier League era, potentially one of the great sides ever. Um, so it, we say that that, that the uh, opposition teams are baffled by them. Is there any example uh, uh, so far this season of, of of an opposition team that have set up in the correct way that have looked to, to limit City that have looked like they they could have done something? I I think I think the difficulty is even the teams who who defend brilliantly, you know, teams like Burnley, um, or you know, I think. That there are there are other examples of teams that set out to nullify more than attack. You know, you can. I think I've said this before on this podcast. I can't remember whether it was Jamie Carragher or Gary Neville who said it, but every team presents their opposition team with a set of problems to solve, and the best teams are the ones that solve those problems the quickest. And Man City just with the intelligence they have the flexibility they have and the individual skill they have can solve pretty much any problem um and there you know yes you could set up effectively to seed all possession and play you know 10 men behind the ball and they'd still find some kind of way of getting through um so i i yeah i i I haven't seen a team that looks as likely to go unbeaten all season in as long as I can remember. Um, and and I think crucially they seem to have sorted out their issues defensively as well. Um, you know, Stones has been playing well. Companies played well when he's come back in. Otamendi's having a great season. Edison at the back sets the tempo for the whole thing with his high line, his superb distribution. And, you know, he's not a bad shot stopper by any stretch of the imagination either so they just they just seem to be the complete package currently high praise indeed uh okay let's move on to second manchester united um halfway through the season halfway through Mourinho's traditional three years <laughs> uh it was such a a great start to december for manchester united who if you remember beat arsenal away yeah 3-1 uh, good results in the Champions League, positive in the Premier League. With that loss to Manchester City at Old Trafford, 
they started a little a little fumble um, and have drawn the last two games, Leicester and Christie as well, at home to Burnley. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because at the beginning of the season, I remember it being you know a case of of two Manchester teams, one of which was incredibly attacking and fluid, and you know it was Pep Guardiola football. The other was slightly more defensive and almost more traditional in a way. But Romelu Lukaku was scoring multiple goals every game, and you just thought, you know, maybe maybe he can pull them through. Uh, now you, you know you could park a bus between the difference that you see in those two teams, couldn't you? You could, um, and look, you know, we we know that Mourinho is is a pragmatic coach, and I think that if you were to sum up the difference between the two, Pep Guardiola is a a coach who has a very definitive style of play that he forces other teams to deal with. And Mourinho is much more adept at looking what the other team wants to do and then seeking to nullify it and, and relying on maybe one or two players of, of real quality to to go and get a goal for him. Um, Lukaku has done well. I think Jesse Lingard deserves possibly higher praise. than he's, Lingard's one of those odd players. You, you even see it on, dare I refer to them as such, but Manchester United Twitter Um you know, he's clearly a divisive figure, but he's exactly the sort of player that Mourinho likes. You know, he will do what is required of him defensively, and every so often he'll pop up with with an assist or with a goal even that that you know takes the game away from the opposition. So Mourinho is is certainly in a still in a building phase. I think there's still a lot of players in that squad that he's not entirely comfortable with i think it's odd well, for of course, example you know he recently said that 300 million pound of spend clearly wasn't enough so yeah well that's i mean it's it's difficult to know how to read that because in absolute terms is he saying i need to spend another 300 million to get the squad that i want or is he saying in relative terms you know 300 million still pales into insignificance compared with what what city have been able to throw around and that's the gap um and it it's hard to know is he saying you know we need to spend that money to overhaul them or we need to spend that money for me to get a squad that i'm happy with which i suppose by implication would then allow him to challenge city more or is he effectively resigning himself to the fact that he is not going to win he's right, not going to beat yeah. them this season and casting around for some sort of rationale i mean look i think Mourinho is a talented manager and he certainly has good players at his disposal in that squad and they it's a marked improvement on how they've been doing you know before he came in I think everyone can accept that plus he he won you know he won last season <laughs> he you know he won the Europa League so he's not exactly doing badly uh, but also, forty-three points after twenty games. You know they'd, they'd be on, in theory, for eighty-six by the end, or well, close to eighty-six by the end of the season. Mm. Uh, many other, I think, there were the stats a few weeks back showed that in at least half of other Premier League seasons, they'd be top of the league. They're not yeah. doing badly, no, absolutely. But I think you can, you know, if you look at the difference between Manchester United this season. It almost pales in comparison to some of the great Manchester United sides of the past. And then Manchester City, who, as you said, are potentially one of the greatest... I mean, they haven't lost a game. No. <laughs> it's, they've drawn one game. Yeah. They've won every other game. It's 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 incredible. It is incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Manchester United, you're not going to get, with Jose Mourinho, a, a classic kind of Sir Alex Ferguson 
swashbuckling wingers, a great centre forward pairing kind of play. I mean, that's partly because four four two, which was Ferguson's preferred formation for a significant period of time before moving to that kind of four three three lopsided. That's you know that that isn't in fashion anymore. But Mourinho, I suppose what Mourinho has probably managed to do better than maybe any other manager could have done is to go into a dressing room that was clearly losing belief in itself and belief in what it means to be a Manchester United player. And this is the most successful club of the last 20 years, incontrovertibly. So those those players, and many of whom were around for, for Van Gaal and for Moyes and for the tail end of the Ferguson era, had started to kind of lose sight of what it means to do that and Mourinho because of the way he is because of the way he manages because of the way he creates this kind of us against them everybody's against us you know whether it's refereeing decisions or it's the financial power of City or, or whatever it is you know first and foremost Mourinho is yes he's good at setting up to nullify the opposition and 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 grind out results but he's also good at, at reminding a club of who they are in terms of that arrogance, you know, and, and I don't, I don't think it's a, I think it, when you're dealing with Mourinho personally, that arrogance can come across unpleasantly for sure. But I think the great teams need to have that arrogance. They, they need to believe that they are the best and that they should go out and win every single game and crush the opposition. And, and that that's, you know, that city are playing like that city are playing like when they take to the pitch, the, the result is a foregone conclusion. They just keep going and keep going and keep going until they score. And it's inevitable. And and other teams taking to the pitch against City will know that. And they'll look at it the same way. They'll think, you know, it's just a matter of time before we get turned over here. And that's how United used to take to the pitch under Ferguson. Uh, and they had players like Cantona or like Dwight York or Tevez or Ronaldo who embodied that. Spirit. Ali Gunnar Solskjaer. No, not Ali Gunnar Solskjaer. <laughs> no. What are you talking about? He, he, listen, he was he was a solution for any game in which it was a draw past eighty minutes. Yes, I know, but I I I, th- I, I love Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, and I think what he's done at Mulder is fantastic. But I I don't think you could argue that he had quite the same kind of hubris as someone like Cantona. You know, he was the, he was the baby faced assassin for a reason. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I'm aware that we've talked for over half of our allotted time about the top two teams, which is probably that, inevitable. I think that's reasonable, though. Yeah. Mm, so do I. Although I would like to, to squeeze everyone in if possible. Okay. Well, we can we can do sort of like one-word reviews. Well, maybe we might have to do that when we get to mid-table. Obviously, the bottom of the table is slightly more interesting. Mid-table, perhaps we could do one-word one okay. reviews. Okay, yes. Um, and uh, let's, I suppose, let's bear in mind... Keep it tactical. Chelsea, Yeah, uh, we haven't really talked about them very much this season. The one uh, player that we have talked about recently is Eden Hazard mm. and his slightly uh, different role in the team. Um, I'm not sure what we could say to expand on what we did last year, but give us a little line of appraisal. Obviously, as well, uh, in the table, third, they are only one point behind Manchester United. They're not, you know, not far off second at all there. Um, it's probably a foregone conclusion that the league has won. But in terms of you know runners-up, they're definitely... Uh, second in the running for sure yeah and and the top six is still very tight generally um yeah I think Chelsea have they've 
they've shifted subtly tactically. Um, I think they're still trying to work out how to integrate um, all of the attacking potential that they have in that side. And they've settled with this, um, or by and large, with Cesc Fabregas kind of, I suppose, a little bit in a De Bruyne-ish role. Let's call it the false eight. Um, pushing up a bit, Hazard as a 10, and then a bit more solidity with with Kante and either Tiembe Bakioko or Danny Drinkwater, uh, you know, providing a bit of, of steel in the midfield. The wing-backs are still successful. They've stuck with the that general sense of how they played last season. Uh, I think that the changes are subtle. Um, Antonio Rudiger, I think, has impressed defensively. Um, and him and Azpilicueta are very good as the kind of wider centre-backs. Um, uh, long and short passing impressively. Christensen as the one who can step out and carry the ball as the kind of heir apparent to David Luiz is playing really, really well. And, and I think has the ability to play in, in the deeper central midfield role as well. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're a team who haven't maybe transitioned as much as some of the other ones. Um, they're, they're making subtle tweaks to what worked so well last season. And it's still working. And it's still working. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody would have, there's a new bar. There is a new bar, and I don't think people would have necessarily predicted City to to do as well relatively as they have done um, to to sweep away people with so much ease. So, I'd like I'd like to just point out that if uh, you go back to the beginning of the season uh, in our podcast, Alex, that's exactly what I did. That's exactly what I did. Well, I won't brag about no, it. Don't, apart don't from brag this about moment. it and, and mention apart it. from right right now, right where now. I am bragging about that's it. That's fine. It's you know. Some... Do you know what my logic was? They're really good at football. That's it. They've got lots of money. <laughs> They've got lots of money. They're really good yeah. at football. And if I say this at the beginning of every season, at one time it will be true. Yeah. And this year it finally worked out for me. Well, well done you. Mm. Liverpool uh, in fourth place. Yeah, it's very exciting for Liverpool. I think the, the main thing we have to say about Liverpool and this is probably a good way of illustrating it, seven games they've played in December, right? And apart from two of them, uh, which against Everton, which is obviously a fiercely fought derby, and against West Brom, uh, which is a hard game for anyone to score any goals in, here's their other goal tallies. Five, seven, four, three, five. Yeah. I mean, what is going on? Um, they've got three really good attackers. Right. <laughs> um, who are who are? Is it all... a case of being good at football again? It's a case of good football. Right. I mean, look, I Liverpool are, you know, the, the Liverpool are the stereotype of Liverpool under Klopp. They are brilliant going forwards and they're still prone to disastrous errors at the back. I think the signing of Van Dijk is, um, I wouldn't say it's savvy because it was blindingly obvious that that was what they should do, but it's definitely going to help them. He brings the kind of aerial um, defensive presence that they've been lacking. He is comfortably as good on the ball. Um, his his stats are down this season, um, despite playing for a possession-based side currently in Southampton. But we know that his passing has the potential to easily be as good as anybody else in that side. Um, Jamie Carragher says he's as good as Rio Ferdinand. Um, I wouldn't say he's that good. Uh, personally, I think... I think Ferdinand 
I think Ferdinand had greater athleticism, particularly along the ground. I think Van Dijk's probably a bit better in the air. So um, what? So what's the, so when they bring him in, what is he going to change straight away? What you know, what will they be using him for? I think he will. I think he'll organise the line better. Uh, I think he'll give confidence to those around him. I I think probably the ideal pairing is to have him alongside Matip. Um, and then you've got two pretty mobile centre-backs. Uh, Matip's more mobile than, than Van Dijk, but he will win the aerial battles. He's by far and away the best um, statistically in the league this season for, for winning um, aerial duels. Uh, he will also quite comfortably slot into the passing out of the back style and the, the quick transitions to the full backs or to the deep dropping central midfielders. There won't be any kind of loss there either. Um, he's just he is just a better defender than those players they've currently got in that position, uh, and he does have that kind of confidence. I mean, you you can see as a Southampton fan, I'm used to watching it. You know, we we play better as a defensive unit when he is there. And that's not just because he does stuff well. It's because he tells the other players where to be. It's because he takes a lead. It's because he doesn't shirk away from challenges. And that organisational ability and, and that kind of leading by example will have a significant impact on a defence that has looked shaky. I mean, they're not. it's not that the Liverpool defenders are necessarily in and of themselves bad players, Um it, it's because they have a tendency to kind of panic and get pulled out of position. And he'll stop that happening because he'll shout at them until they're in the right place. Okay, Tottenham. Um, similarly, uh, well, similar to Liverpool, I should say, in, in the sense that they score a lot of goals, uh, but they've had their ups and downs. One thing you could mention about Tottenham, um, one consistency I suppose throughout the months of this season so far, is that they have almost without exception and that exception being Liverpool, lost to any team that has been up or around them mm. uh, in the top six. Um, they've also lost to teams like Leicester. They lost to West Ham in the Cup. Uh, on the other hand, uh, scoring a lot of goals, Harry Kane uh, has broken a you know, very notable record for goal scoring in a calendar year, uh, taken off of Alan Shearer, I believe. Um, and also they, they are uh, doing incredibly well in the Champions League. They beat Real Madrid, they beat Borussia Dortmund. Um, the, you know they're they're doing well in Europe in a way that they haven't before. What's going on there under Pochettino, and are we seeing anything different? I don't. I I haven't noticed that they're doing anything particularly different. Um, I think maybe Ericsson's dropping a little deeper, um, and Ali or Son or both are pushing a little higher. Um, well, Son's a good point actually, isn't he? Because he he's. Uh, not so much a surprise fixture in that he did very well last season as well, but he's doing particularly well this season, scored uh, scoring quite a few goals. Yeah, he is, and and I think you know when you talk about the the really top players in the Premier League, um, it's unless you're a Spurs fan, Son isn't really mentioned, and and I think he I think he's absolutely up there um, with you know he's he's probably in the top ten players currently in in terms of not just what he produces as an individual output, but how he works within the system that he plays in. Um, and he just has, you know, continued to kind of pass under the radar. It'll be really interesting to see how he does with, with South Korea in the World Cup, actually, because he is their, he is their key guy in, in 
that um, competition, and uh, you know he's, he's probably carrying a lot on him, and he seems very very capable of dealing with that. Um, and he could be he could be really outstanding come the summer. I think, yeah, I think Spurs are. I, I don't know whether it's that they. I don't want to say they've been found out, but as as we said, you know, teams, Spurs and and Chelsea, neither of them have adapted enormously from how they've been playing. And it may be that the reason that Spurs are doing well in Europe is because the style that they're playing in is something that their European opponents don't come up against quite so much. Yeah. Whereas within the league now, particularly as you say, the, the teams above them, they're kind of used to it because it's what they saw last season. I mean, Pochettino is a remarkably consistent manager. And while there have been some formational changes between his his time at Southampton and his time at Spurs, the style and the use of players has been remarkably consistent. Also, there's a new bar. I don't want to keep harping on about it. Well, you but do. But they're only six you... points off Manchester United, uh, who, as we've already said in half of the other Premier League seasons would be top of the league with their points tally. Yeah. So in th- it, 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 let's extrapolate that for Tottenham. In half of the history of the Premier League seasons, Tottenham would be, you know, a handful of points off top spot. Sure. But there's a new bar. Yeah, there's a new bar. There is a new bar. And they're bar. 21 points behind Manchester City. They are. Um, but I think, you know, for it, Spurs are... that That top six seems as kind of thoroughly sorted and differentiated from the other 14 sides this season as it's been in a while. Uh, And Spurs have definitely firmly established themselves in that tier. And like you say, are doing exceptionally in Europe. So that's where their focus is now going to lie. I think anybody other than probably United and Chelsea have got no chance of winning the league. And I think United and Chelsea have got about a 1% chance of winning the league. So... Yeah. You know, Pochettino can gear up for Europe, and th- there is a th- you know you need to maintain the momentum. You can't you can't sack off the league to the extent that you start going into big European games on a, a run of losses because that affects morale and and all the rest of it. But but I think it's very clear that you know could Spurs could could be semi finalists in the Champions League. That's not I I don't think they're necessarily strong enough to win it. Um, because you know that yeah, okay, they, they've done very well against Real Madrid, but there are still big sides out there. Um, possibly PSG's, yeah. I don't know. Sure, um, sure. Barcelona are always, you know, a threat. Bayern are always a threat. So Juventus, I, I, it, it's hard to see Spurs quite being able to 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 deal with those teams. But at the same time, who knows? Well, one team that won't be a threat in the Champions League this season is Arsenal in yes, sixth they place. They won't uh, be a identical threat to points records. No, no, they won't. Identical points record, uh, and in, including wins, draws, losses to Tottenham. Uh, but uh, in true Arsenal fashion, uh, it, well, in recent years, I should say, they've scored less and conceded more. Uh, <laughs> so, but they're on thirty-seven points. Do talk to me about Arsenal because I haven't watched any of their games uh, for the last month or two and I've got no idea what's going on. So I watched the first half of uh, yesterday's game against Palace, but I was making a stir fry. Mm -hmm. So uh, my concentration levels were were reduced somewhat. Um, I, yeah, I don't, 
I don't really know what's happening with Arsenal. They seem to they seem to still have the quality of players. I think Lacazette was an upgrade um, and and has been doing reasonably well. Sanchez is still capable, as he did last night, of scoring and winning games. There doesn't seem to be quite the right balance in central midfield. I think Xhaka is is a a creative player. I think he's a playmaker, possibly even somebody who should be up towards the 10 position, but because they've got Ozil in that role and because Xhaka is a little hard bastard who likes um, fouling people, you know, he's used as a kind of screening midfielder, which he is not. Um, And I think as he gets pushed up more, Arsenal play better, but there's, there's still definitely a gap there. Um, The wing backs, seem to be working quite well, but they are overly reliant on Koscielny in defence, who's still, you know, still one of the top central defenders in the league, but around him, it's, it's just, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of individual bits that look good for Arsenal, but Wenger seems to have lost the ability to weave it all together in quite the same way that he has done before. Sure, sure. I think the, the the interesting thing as well that we've touched on before is their their formational shift, uh, which is the first really that we've seen under Wenger in in many many seasons. So uh, worthy of note, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Burnley in seventh place, oh, uh, a team I have Burnley. been following. I think Burnley are lovely too. Um, and listeners to the podcast and, and, and viewers of the YouTube channel will probably have noticed our like for Burnley. Uh, 20 games played, 9 games won, uh, they are on 33 points, which I believe, it, it, it's an old cliche, Alex, but if you'd offered that before <laughs> the season started, what do you think? Hmm? I think if they didn't win another game this season, they still wouldn't be relegated. Right, which is brilliant, isn't it? Which is remarkable. I mean, I know, and, I know and it's 40 testament is to, supposed to, to, their, to be... Um, to, to 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 their work ethic and their and their setup, right? You know, they they aren't. This is the thing about Burnley is, uh, as as we've shown in in some of our videos this season, what they do is incredibly calculated, and they work incredibly hard to make mm. sure that they do it well. That's uh, that's what football's all about, right? If you've not got three hundred and fifty million to spend on fullbacks, then yeah, um, it's you know, it's get a plan that suits the players that you've got and then stick to that plan and then bring in other players who are able to do that. Um, I think massive uh, props have to go to Nick Pope, who's stepped into, you know, Tom Heaton was arguably the best goalkeeper in the league last season. And due to his injury, Pope's had to come in and has done very, very well. Um, James Tarkovsky is the outstanding new player of the season I would suggest um you know he was he was very able at Brentford and I saw him play there a couple of times um and then moved to Burnley and wasn't able to to kind of get in on the Ben Me Michael Keane partnership understandably um but he's now come in and and is playing exceptionally well so you know Burnley do what they do and they do it very ably um mm. and it's it's odd it's almost because it's such a throwback um and and i mean that a throwback offensively i think defensively they're very sophisticated but that pushing it up to big physical forwards um like vokes or ashley barnes is is something that teams do still struggle to deal with it's like troy Deeney was saying 
in the aftermath of Watford beating Arsenal. You know, just having somebody who really physically pressures these kind of elegant, willowy, ball-playing centre-backs that you (laughs) seem to now get. Um, And they don't like it. And I I think sometimes it is very reductive and it can be annoying to hear pundits, and I'm not saying we're pundits in that way, but to, to say, oh, it's about, you know, wanting it more or it's about getting up and that kind of stuff. But if if a team's style is predicated on playing out from the back, they need to have a certain kind of centre-back. And with one or two exceptions, Alfie Mawson, for example, the the ball-playing centre-backs tend not to be quite so good physically. Um, Van Dijk is, is another exception to that, I'd say. And, um, and it is possible to disrupt those teams by working hard, pressuring those centre-backs, disrupting the rhythm of the play, and just being stronger. Um, and, you know, Burnley are doing that, and it's it's credit to them and to, to Sean Dyche. OK, we've officially reached uh, mid-table now, uh, eighth place. I think, since we're at half an hour already, we should probably move uh, to one-word summations. Uh, just, for, just for the next few teams, let's see how it goes. Uh, Leicester City... Uh, it's Claude Puel's rehabilitation, and I'm very happy for him. Okay, that's one sentence, but that, that's probably better. Okay. Uh, ninth place, Everton, 27 points, same as same as Leicester. Wayne Rooney's better than we thought he was, but not as good as he thinks he is, and they're over-reliant on him. I thought you were going to go for something surreal, like Wayne Rooney's dream <laughs> box of love. <laughs> no, I don't really do surreal, sorry. Um, Watford are in 10th place, uh, 25 points. They did have a, a streak of losses, did very well at the beginning of the season, uh, but they've just won their last game, which is a nice uh, green in a sea of red, Alex. Yeah, I think Rickarlison, one of the signings of the season, although he's he's not scoring as many as he ought to if you look at most XG tables. Sorry to bring that up. Um, uh, Miguel Britos is one of the unsung heroes defensively in the league at the moment. And I'd say they're probably exceeding expectations under a very good young manager. Mm -hmm. The next three, uh, 11th, 12th and 13th, is Huddersfield, Brighton and Stoke, all on course for 40 points probably at the end of the season. I would say that Stoke are likely less happy with with, with that than Brighton and Huddersfield would be. Oh, massively. Um, I think Huddersfield and, and Brighton will be delighted. They've they've more or less stayed with the style that they used in the championship, um, and it's great credit to them. David Wagner's Christmas video, by the way, was hilarious, <laughs> if, if you haven't seen that. Uh, yeah, Stoke are a real disappointment, I think, this season. You would, you would expect them to be above those two sides. You'd probably expect them to be above Watford as well. Um, well, winning a draw in the last two games uh, it's taken the pressure slightly off of Mark Hughes but you would imagine that that would return if he, he doesn't resolve it permanently sooner rather than later yeah and it's you know it's it's not a good time Wenger aside to be a long-standing manager in the league you know people are like Pulis and um, getting removed I think there's 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 a, a creeping realization that actually you know you can bring in young people from outside like Marco Silva and, you know, shock horror, they're actually quite good. So, um, you know, if if anyone's in danger currently, it's probably Mark Hughes. OK, 14th place, Southampton. Uh, two draws and three losses in the last five games. 19 points. Again, another uh, 
massive underachiever this season. Uh, of course, they've just sold Van Dijk yeah. for what I think is a, a reported fee of seventy million, rising to seventy-five. Uh, so, it, were they going to spend that on a striker? Well, I don't know. I mean, Austin has played well, but then got uh, the ban for that stupid and well, yeah, naughty, nasty challenge on Jonas Lussel. Um So it, he's only out for three games and that might coincide with an injury anyway. So I, I don't think they necessarily need to buy a striker. I don't understand Southampton and I'm a Southampton fan and I watch them and it's it's the same problem of lots of possession, lots of passes, but that that final ball and the finish just isn't quite there and I, I don't really know how it's not there. Um because we've got you know, we've got players like Dusan Tadic and Nathan Redmond who are creative, capable players, Sofiane Buffel. And you're hitting the post a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, it's like Bournemouth last season. Um you know, I I think I, I have confidence in, in the manager. I just I just feel like Austin's suspension was really, really poorly timed because he's just starting to get into a run of goal scoring form and that could have been sufficient. It will be fine. We we're not gonna go down, but I think at the moment it's we need to take a deep breath and work out exactly what's happening because it's it isn't working at the moment. Two points off the relegation zone with a sea of grey and red in terms of form, draws and losses. Uh, the other teams around you are all showing a little bit of green by way. I mean, wins. Yeah, not so, not Bournemouth or West Brom. I, I just I no, kind of feel well, not like... not Bournemouth or West Brom. I, I, I feel like there's enough... We are better by enough of a margin than... There's enough chuff below. Enough of the teams below us, yeah. And I'd also... I, if I was Stoke, I would be worried about about dropping off a bit. Um, I think I think Swansea and West Brom are... I, the team we're most like is Bournemouth. Um, we play a similar style to Bournemouth and we're not getting results and they're not getting results. And, and I think the difference is clinical goal scoring at the moment. If, if we can address that, we'll be fine. And I suspect if Bournemouth can address that, they'll be fine also. Uh, 15th place, Newcastle United, 18 points. A team I, I thought were doing better. Uh, what's going on here? That's because they were. Um, right. And and they were up comfortably mid-table for quite some time. I, I don't actually particularly know what's happening there. I, I've seen that there's a, a reasonable amount of dissatisfaction. Um, I think the midfield's being chopped and changed quite a lot. And people aren't entirely sure why that's happening I think also if you're going into a Premier League season and Dwight Gale is your main striker you've probably mm. got issues um, well the, yeah we know about their uh, their spending issues yeah and obviously there's a lot going anything. on behind the scenes at the moment with the you know putative sale and so on so that's got to have a you know if, the, if there's a manager who can steer them through that it's Benitez um, because he's very competent and he's very experienced. On another note, I often think Newcastle would be, you know, one of the best propositions for a, a wealthy foreign billionaire uh, in terms yeah. of buying a football club. You know, they've got one of the biggest grounds in the league, in the country, even. Uh, they've, uh, you know, got a huge supporters base. They've got a history of uh, of trophies. Uh, they're, the, they're the perfect, they're the perfect team for someone to snap up 
and spend lots of money on. Not that I advocate for that. I think that's a bad thing anyway. But I'm just saying, in the current state of things, yeah. I'm surprised that hasn't already happened. No, no, I I agree. Um, and I'm not sure why that would be. Yeah. Maybe they know something we don't. Uh, 16th place, Crystal Palace, a team who, at the beginning of the season, uh, well, not, I mean, obviously not right at the beginning, but after the initial four or five games, we thought would never get out of uh, 20th place. But they have. They have. Big Roy. They're in 16th, Alex. That's a difference of four. Big Roy and his organisation. Um, right. Well, he scored, I mean, they hadn't scored any goals before he was employed, which was, what was it, <laughs> seven or eight games or something? It was ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and now they've managed to score a whopping 18. It's hugely impressive. They've 18 got, goals. They've got stuff in place to be a reasonable side. They're not going to be better than reasonable, but they definitely shouldn't be in in the position that they are and it's you know they have returned and we we had a long conversation about i can't remember a couple of months back about recruiting a manager that suits your club and if it doesn't by suiting your club i mean suiting the playing staff you already have in place and and if not then fully supporting that manager with the acquisitions to allow him to gradually change that playing squad into how he wants them to be over time and they recruited entirely the wrong manager to start with, and they've gone back to somebody who's very steady, defensively organised, and comfortable playing a kind of direct style that suits having people like Wilfried Zaha, uh, Andros Townsend, and then you know the big lad up front, um, <laughs> which they do, and and it's yeah, it's working. It's not it's particularly pleasant I mean, to uh, watch. Uh, and only it's... Uh, only two losses since the beginning of November, and that was against Tottenham and Arsenal. You know, you can't really blame them for that. But in that time, they've they've uh, they've beaten impressive teams. They beat Leicester three 0 away from home, uh, and of course they. I know, we know that Watford aren't doing brilliantly uh, mid, direct mid table, but they've beaten Watford as well. You know, it, it's a marked improvement, isn't it? Oh, massively, and and. And in much the same way that Allardyce has sparked an improvement at Everton and Dyche has been doing superbly at Burnley. You know, there is there is something to be said for finding a system that works for your players that is not, you know, as complicated or as uh, philosophically backed up as the way that, say, a Man City plays and just saying, you know, look... We're, we're quick on the wings. It's like Allardyce bringing in Aaron Lennon, who'd been on the sidelines for quite some time. Aaron Lennon is very good at basically one thing, and that's running quickly and then delivering a cross. He's a trad winger. Right. And, you know, when, when people are playing with inside forwards that like to cut inside and fullbacks that like to overlap and all the rest of it, the one area where you can threaten other teams that do that is by having a traditional quick winger who stays very wide. Um, and, you know, it's, it isn't rocket science. Um, Palace in Zaha have got an exceptional player. Um, and, you know, Roy Hodgson very sensibly is focusing on be defensively solid and get the ball to Zaha. Okay, uh, four teams left, 17th place, West Ham United. Uh, only one loss in the last five games, so potential improvement. I don't know. You tell me, Alex. I mean, it's obvious, yeah, it is an improvement. I think we we looked before at how this team and the way that they were set up to play would suit David Moyes. Um, and Moyes has... 
I suppose to a degree he's reverted to his uber-cautious Sunderland approach, um, and I don't think that necessarily benefits them, but it will tighten them up. It will stop them leaking quite so many goals. I mean, they've they've conceded a lot. By the way, uh, who who is Pardew in charge of now? Or did I dream this? <laughs> I don't think Pardew's in charge of anyone, is he? I mean, maybe I've dreamed it. I think he is. Well, I mean, it'll be easy enough to find out. That's what I'm doing. He's the current manager of West Brom. The former, yeah. Oh. I, I, I saw, I saw, honestly, it's, thank fuck it's not just me, Alex. I saw this about uh, a week ago and I thought it was it happened a month before that. It happened in November and I thought, how have I missed this? I think I just, they're so synonymous with Tony Pulis that like you forget that he's gone. I mean, I and, I knew that he'd gone. I just... Right, yeah. I missed Pardew too, mate. I missed oh, it too. God. What do we call ourselves? <laughs> Football observers. I do I do love the fact that, that in 2003, the BBC described Pardew as being, quote, a dangerous and distant animal. <laughs> referring to his lack of public relations abilities which has led him to making several rash comments and there is a wikipedia page citation for that so we can say it fairly yeah who was on the news desk that day Stuart roach wrote that for the bbc um so well well done Stuart, for that line Um, um yeah well we're not at them yet anyway they're Two more teams off. Uh, apology. I think. I think it's literally because we haven't. We made a, quite a, a few West Brom videos towards the end of last season uh, under the, the, the heady days of Tony Pulis. Um, yeah. So we, we, yeah. We looked we at, we looked at when they were good at set pieces. Yeah, we did that, uh, and we just haven't. We hadn't gone back, so it's, no. it's not surprising that neither of us know. I mean, I don't hang around to watch that on Match of the Day. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was very funny. I'm glad you said the same, yeah. uh, because I couldn't. I couldn't believe that I'd that I'd missed it. No, uh, maybe the listeners won't know. In fact, that's quite a good. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a good comment. <laughs> well, it could be breaking news for you. It's not. It's not like there's a, a clamor in the user comments for you know. Please explain the role of Claudio Jacob to us. Um, but yeah, if you didn't know this either, do leave us a comment so we know it's not just us. Uh, but back back to West Ham, David Moyes, uh, one loss in the last five games, not bad. Well, but obviously quite bad. <laughs> yeah, cool. well, I mean, it's it's not ideal, and only Stoke have conceded more goals. Um, but that's what he'll hopefully tighten up somewhat. Um, it's. Again, I think West Ham are one of those clubs that are so in transition off the field with all of the, you know, there's still this kind of legacy of of what happened with the move to the Olympic Stadium. And there was obviously, you know, reports recently about how much they were making out of that and the taxpayer footing the bill. And there's, you know, there's a degree of uncertainty. They've got very irascible owners who are not shy about criticising players and, yeah, there was that recent tweet where, or was it a tweet or was it an interview where um, Gold or O'Sullivan was saying, oh yeah, you know, my, my kids urge me not to buy these players, uh, including Snodgrass, who's now out on loan. And obviously the players are then going, well, cheers for that. Um, so I think it's a, it's a difficult situation to be in. 
Um, but I, I can see them sort of climbing slowly and tediously away from relegation. Well, the, the word was for a while that they were looking to sell anyway. And to be honest, that makes an awful lot of sense to me because, look, they've just moved in to the London Stadium, once the Olympic Stadium. Uh, as, we, as we've mentioned, that financial arrangement is... It's pretty great for West Ham. Um, we've got alternative views on that as well. I spoke to James Montague about this in a podcast uh, five or six weeks ago, and he thinks that the the atmosphere of the stadium and the move and the you know the lack of um, culture around that area and around that stadium will negatively affect the team to such a point that it will actually you know be a disadvantage. Oh yeah, but I mean, look but in at, terms of look at uh, when uh, Spurs uh, were playing games at Wembley. Well, they still are. Yeah. Yes, but it would they they did a, they, yeah. It's I suppose it's a bit different now, maybe because they're used to it. But the the, the impact yeah. on them when they were doing that before was initially yeah was sizable, and it takes time to adapt, and it takes time to get used to it. And you, you know, you get a, a group of fans who can't be asked to travel that bit further, and like you say, there's a lack of of that sense of it being. You know, particularly as the Berlin ground was so firmly centrally within that area of West Ham. Imagine, imagine if you loved football and you bought, oh, thank uh, God we or, don't, or eh? rented a, I know, right? Or bought or rented a flat ne- near the stadium, like right next to it, because you love it so much that you want every weekend to be. Uh, you know, in fact, this reminds me of quite an amusing story. I will, I will tangent uh, for a mere thirty seconds, Alex. Uh, Mark Leach, who we've spoken to on the podcast before, Mark Leach is a, is a Premier League football photographer. Is uh, a fascinating man with, uh, ironically enough, a bit of a photographic memory. Uh, he's full of stories, and uh, he once told me a story about uh, travelling back from Manchester. I actually, I'm not sure where he was, somewhere in the north. Uh, on on a holiday, he had his wife and his kids in the car, and they were travelling through Stoke, and they thought they might stop off um, to grab some food. And he, instead of getting food, he got out of the car and started wandering around the town looking for the uh, location of the old stadium, the name of which I've forgotten, before the Britannia was built. And uh, he thought he'd, he thought he found where it was. It was a big block of flats now, and uh, there was on a little road nearby. And uh, an old woman came out and she said, oh, you're right, what, what are you looking for? And he said, oh, is this, is this where the road where the, uh, the stadium used to be? And she said, oh, yes. And she started, you know, telling him stories about how bricks were coming through the window in the olden days and all the police horses outside and all the rubbish in the street and, you know, how much damage was done to her property. And Mark says, oh, I bet you don't miss it. And she goes, oh, no, I really do. <laughs> the weekends are too quiet now. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, imagine if not you bought a flat near a, uh, No, there's not enough street violence. If you bought a flat near 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 the Berlin ground uh, on that basis, then it was gone. Yeah, it's a meaningless tangent. Um, but they're in seventeenth, nevertheless. Uh, I've used up all that time telling an anecdote that wasn't mine. Eighteenth place, AFC Bournemouth. Uh, okay, we're in the relegation zone now. Yeah. No wins in the last five games that I can see. Uh, 17 points. It's not over. Obviously, it's very tight down there. And in theory, with one win and a bunch of other losses, they could be up in 13th. True. Um, they are, yeah, they are basically Southampton with a slightly less good squad. What's going on with Eddie Howe? Because uh, he was, of course, tipped for, for every job under the sun. Yeah. Perhaps because uh, he's young and, and British, like a sort of Premier League affirmative action thing. But uh, <laughs> what's going on with him now? Um... I, I mean, boom, they, you know, they they have not adapted their style all that much. 
um, they're still playing the same sort of way. And it it can be the margins of just making a few more defensive errors and finishing fewer chances. And all of a sudden, rather than playing a kind of swaggering possession style of football that sees you up in 10th or 9th, you're down in 18th and struggling um, because the margins are incredibly fine. And their goal difference is minus 13, which is, you know, it's better than Huddersfield, it's better than Stoke, it's better than Palace and West Ham, and those teams are all above them. So, What about this for a run of games? Uh, from the 13th of December to the 23rd, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City. Well, that's zero points. Uh, that is zero points, and actually one of them was the quarterfinal of the EFL Cup, which uh, they lost to Chelsea. The Carabao. The Carabao? That's what it's called now, the Carabao Cup. It just says the EFL Cup here. Ah, okay. Uh, it's, it's fine. like a shit Red Bull. What's Carabao? It's, it's an energy drink. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I think I think Bournemouth are in, in significant trouble because I can't see that they've got the investment to bring in anybody particularly stellar over the January break. Um, and I think... Unlike, unlike particularly West Ham and Palace, where there's been a, a style transition that could benefit both of those squads, they're not going to change their style anytime soon. Um, and they don't have the experience and nous of a Benitez, um, who I think will keep Newcastle out of trouble. So Bournemouth... On a positive note, though, uh, Alan Pardew does manage the team just below them, <laughs> so they're probably unlikely to uh, they're unlikely to lose uh, lose ground there. West Bromwich Albion, nineteenth uh, place, fifteen points, Gone. starting to look a little bit more difficult now. Three points from safety, uh, you know, that's a wish and a prayer, isn't it? And also no no wins in the last five games. I've I've got more confidence in Swansea escaping relegation than West Brom. I'll say that now. I reckon, given that we didn't know Alan Pardew was the manager until... Uh, <laughs> we shouldn't recently, say all that much. Just, we shouldn't say all that much. Let's just move on to Swansea and talk about why you're confident. Because Paul Clement, uh, who of course made a name for himself as the assistant manager of a Real Madrid team, uh, has managed to get Swansea City 13 points so far. So, why are you confident about that? They are now... Uh, let me do some maths in my head. Five points off of safety. That's quite a long way at this point in the season. You would be looking at Swansea naturally and thinking, mm. yeah, you would. But they've got Leon Britton in the coaching staff, right? I'd have, I'd have given Leon Britton the job full time. I love Leon Britton. I think you're the only person who, not that loves Leon Britton. I'm sure that his his family love him. No, but John uh, McKenzie uh, loves him. Right, John McKenzie. Okay, well, so, so what's what's the reason for loving Leon Leon Britton? What, why do you think that he is going to help them? Um, because when Britton was a player, he uh, he sort of encapsulated the quote unquote Swansea way um, of possession based football and a, a kind of a, a nice rhythm, moving the ball around, probing for gaps, and then attacking which it was the way that Brendan Rodgers had them playing and it was really really good to watch and they kind of I think part of the issue of having what is it seven managers in two seasons or three seasons is that you 
you do lose that sense of of what's the way that we're supposed to play and and you know are we I, I just think they got confused I, th- I think you you had a squad who were being asked to do different things so regularly maybe if Britain's influence increases then then they'll be able to start playing that style again with some success um I think I think credit has to go to Fabianski and Mawson who are both playing well currently despite everything else that's going on around them but I just feel, I don't know I just feel there's something about them that I I'll probably be horribly wrong about this and it, it could be like blind optimism rather than anything analytical but I just have a feeling they might be okay okay well <laughs> I love that in the context of what we do at TIFO, uh, which is, of course, dry tactical analysis most of the time. We look at statistics, we look at the way that teams are setting up and playing, and we uh, can predict outcomes reasonably successfully, in most cases, I should say. But on this basis, Alex Stewart has a feeling (laughs) that uh, Swansea City will be fine. So do you hear that, South Wales? Uh, Don't worry about it. It's all going to be good. I I once made the mistake of using uh, analytics to show that Swansea were quite good at crossing and that they should be crossing the ball more and then got a flood of angry comments from Swansea fans going oh you obviously never watched us and you're you're a useless human being and and I had because you know when I do these videos and stuff I do actually do actually watch things otherwise it's a bit pointless I don't know yeah there's no point in doing Swansea currently because the 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 new guy Carvajal's got to kind of bed in and Establish his... they've got they've got a new guy. Yeah, Britain was only in charge for one game. You see, I'm up with Swansea. Swansea's fine. I pay attention to them. I thought Paul Clement was their manager. No, he's not anymore. He got sacked, I... man. And then Britain. Right, listen. It's a good <laughs> job. I, I'm just the presenter of this podcast. I I just say the words that you write. I didn't uh, write any words. I feel like we've made a bad impression today. Well, I think it's. I don't know what's going on. It just it's Christmas. It's fine. Yeah, this uh, you know our our gift is a little bit of ignorance. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> that's that's certainly positive thinking. I think so. Um, okay, well, thanks to to everyone for downloading this episode. Uh, as previously discussed, Alex and I will be starting the Tifo Tactics podcast at some point in January. We we the only reason it's not out this first week and this isn't the first episode is because we don't want to rush it. We want to work out the format. We're still working on you know how it's uh how it's going to be recorded and everything e- each week and we're also doing things like thinking about potential additional segments uh where we could go out and interview coaches or uh we could uh, talk about training and stuff like that uh so that's the reason that we're not rushing it it still definitely is happening of course josh's podcast uh this football life the first episode first episodes of that i should say will be out on the Wednesday of this week, which I believe is the 3rd of January. I'm very excited for those. Yeah, me too. Well, we're going to kick it off with three episodes. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Grobelaar is the first one, and one of the other two is Manchester United's... Who was Manchester United's... Uh, I can't remember. It's Touchline Doctor. What do they call them? Fitness Man. Physio. Physio, that's the one. The guy that uh, runs on with the gloves. That's the one. And, and applies water. Anyway, he worked with Ferguson for 20 years and Josh asked him all about his career and his job. I mean, these are brilliant interviews that these will be good, very, very worth listening to. They will be. And they're out. Uh, the first three are on the 3rd of January. So make sure that when we tell you to, 
you go and subscribe to it. Uh, okay, thanks very much for listening. Alex Stewart, thanks for joining us, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks very much, and Happy New Year, everyone.